Today's reading is taken from Isaiah 42, titled The Servant of the Lord. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put to their hope. This is what the, Lord, this is what the God, um, the Lord says, the creator of heaven who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or be praised to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth, you who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them. Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedah lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion. Like a warrior, he will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. For a long time, I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp and pant. I will lay waste the mountains and hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will turn rivers into islands and dry up the pools. I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Among unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. But those who trust in idols, who say to images, you are our God, will be turned back in utter shame. Hear you, deaf. Look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send? Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord? You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. It pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted, all of them trapped in pits or hidden away in prisons. They have become plunder with no one to rescue them. They have been made loot with no one to say, send them back. Which of you will listen to this or pay close attention in time to come? Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law, so he poured out on them his burning anger. The violence of war, it enveloped them in flames, yet they did not understand. It consumed them, 
but they did not take it to heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Uh, A pleasingly mumbled response from behind the masks. But nonetheless, it is good to see you. And uh, we are continuing our series in Isaiah today. So if you've got a Bible, and the great team would open one page. Actually, I have no idea what page you are. But chapter 42 um, is where we want to be. Let me pray, and then let's take a look at this together. But it is also sweet. It speaks to us. It, uh, it nourishes us. And so we pray that you would speak to us now. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks to whoever switched on the microphone. Sorry to anyone watching online. Um, good to uh, know that you can hear me now. Um, maybe turn it down a tiny bit, I think, just on the lapel slider. Thanks so much, Anna. There are always competitors for the true God. In Isaiah's day, there were those idols that we were hearing about last week in chapter 41, images of wood or stone or precious metals, which represented the gods of the nations surrounding Israel. In the face of a coming enemy, we read that they gripped ever tighter onto those idols, encouraging one another, saying, that's a good idol, you've done a good job. When our enemies invade, our God will protect us. But those gods, as seems so obvious to us now, but very much did not seem obvious to them then, were, of course, not real gods. There is only one God described like this in verse 5 of our passage God is the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. There is just one God, and he is the creator of the earth and the stars, and of all that springs from the earth, plants, animals, and to us he gives breath and life. And so there is a problem with idol worship. And it's not just that it didn't work because those gods were fictitious. So they couldn't speak, they couldn't act, they couldn't do anything. The big problem with idol worship is this. It steals glory that belongs to God. It takes credit that belongs to God and gives it somewhere else. It is to give credit where it is not due. Worshipping anyone or anything other than God is to give credit where it is not due. And that credit belongs to God. Perhaps you know that experience 
of seeing credit which should have gone to you for something you've done be given to someone else. Uh, a company that I used to work for, um, this was basically standard practice. I lost count of the number of times I sat in a meeting with a client and my boss would hand a document over the table that I'd written and they would say to the client, here's something I wrote for you. Now that was just fairly standard practice in the company, I didn't really mind and it was kind of an understanding that if you worked your way up to that level then, well you could steal the credit from the people in your team as well. But it is unjust, isn't it? It's an injustice to take credit away from someone who deserves it and give that credit to someone else. It is an injustice. Now in my situation, as I say, I didn't mind that much, but in God's situation, to take credit from God, the only one who is responsible for the existence of our universe, the only God who speaks, who can speak of the past and interpret it for us, who can speak of the future of what is to come and who is able to speak of the future because he holds the future in his hands. Well, to take credit away from God, to take worship and glory away from God and give it to statues, well, that is a justice issue. The greatest injustice because it is a theft from the greatest being in the universe. And we see how God feels about it in verse 8. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And that is the background behind the court case that we saw last week in chapter 41. And that court case reaches its stunning conclusion in the first verses of our passage today in verses 1 to 9. You may remember Steve said chapter 41 was a bit like a courtroom drama. Well, verses 1 to 9 are the final moments of that courtroom drama where a surprise witness is brought in and the opposition case completely collapses. Chapter 41 drew to a close with a mocking expose of the uselessness of idols. They can't speak, they can't act, and in the face of their useless silence, God addressed them directly. Verse 24, you are less than nothing and your works are utterly worthless, is what God says, the true God to those false gods. And in verse 29, God turns away from the idols themselves, as if to say, well, there's no point in speaking to them, they can't respond. And God addresses, as it were, the jury in this courtroom drama. And as the watching world looks on, in the face of their inaction, their deafening silence, God declares, verse 29, see, they are all false. Their deeds amount to nothing. They are just wind and confusion, confusing those who follow them. They are nothing, God says. They are nothing, but here, and this is the bit in the courtroom drama where the double doors at the back of the courtroom bang open. There's a collective gasp from everyone present, and God calls his final surprise witness to the stand 
here is my servant, says God. Read verse 1 along with me if you've got a handy Bible. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. The idols of the nations were nothing. They couldn't speak, they couldn't act, and therefore they couldn't save from terrifying enemies. But my servant, God says, he will bring justice to the nations. He will restore peace and order. Justice comes up in verse 1, again in verse 3, again in verse 4. Justice in society. Justice between person and person. And do we not long for that day when there is true justice, not just the stealing of credit where credit is due, but injustice between person and person where justice is not done. Some situations where justice can never be done. Breonna Taylor, Matthew Ratana, countless nameless victims every day in every nation. And the ultimate injustice that God will redress is the injustice of worshipping anything other than the true God. Verses 6 and 7, God says to his servant, I the Lord have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. My servant will do this, God says, and everyone will know that it was me, I the Lord, doing this through my servant so that because I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And remember the test that God laid before the idols in chapter 41? Tell us something from the past. Silence. Tell us something from the future then. Silence. Whereas God, verse 9, see, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. There is only one God one whom we can worship, who can predict the future, the creator God who spreads out the heavens, who gives breath and life to those on earth, who knows the future because he controls the future. And through his servant, everyone will come to know it. So who then is this servant? Because you may remember from last week, chapter 41, verse 8, Israel was referred to as God's servant. But you, Israel, my servant. Verse 9, I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So is this Israel? Verses 1 to 9, chapter 42. Is this the Old Testament nation of Israel? A covenant for the people, a light to the Gentiles. That was supposed to be their job. God said, I, I have given you such good laws that through those, as you live them out, as you worship me, the nations around should come to see 
that I am God. But as we look at the end of our chapter, verses 18 through 25, we see that the answer to that question is no. God addresses Israel and says of them, who is blind but my servant, deaf like the messenger I send. Of Israel, to Israel, God says, verse 20, you have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. I gave you a good law, but you have ignored it. Verse 21, it pleased the Lord for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious, but you ignored it. And so now you have been sent into exile, trapped in a foreign land. And you might think then, well, if these are God's people, how could he let them be captured and taken? Surely he should have protected them if he really is the one true God. Surely he should have been able to protect his people. But we read, verse 23 and 24, it was God who handed them over. Who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? For they would not follow his ways. They did not obey his law. And the real shock is the reason they are handed over was because instead of being a nation that others should look on at and say, wow, what a wonderful God you have, let's follow your God, Israel looked at the nations around them and looked at the gods that those nations were worshipping and thought, those gods look pretty good. Let's try those out as well. And it is for that that they were sent into exile. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And this bit here, verses 18 to 25, is one in the eye for any Israelite who might have been reading this and thinking, yeah, we are that servant. We are a covenant for the people. We are a light for the Gentiles. As one of the commentators puts it somewhat brutally, the servant in verses 1 to 9 is a figure who embodies all that Israel should have been, but wasn't. But here's the thing. As we sit here in 2020 in our church, no obvious idols in the room, which is good, let's keep it that way. But there's a risk that we can start feeling a bit smug ourselves. You see, if we think that just by virtue of sitting in this building week by week or watching online, by being part of a church or by calling ourselves Christians or by thinking of ourselves as the people of God, if we start thinking that we are better than people outside, if we start thinking that we are better than people who worship other gods, somehow more intrinsically in and of ourselves worthy of God's love and protection. Well, then we need to take a long, hard look at our hearts. But it's not easy to do that. You see, if I say to you, what do you worship? Well, the chances are, by virtue of being in this room or watching the service, the chances are you'll say, I worship God. I worship the God of uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. 
Alternatively, of course, you might say, I don't believe in God at all. I don't worship anything. But here's a different question that might get a little bit closer to the truth. When times are tough, how do you finish this sentence? What is your default answer to the, to, to the end of this sentence? It will be okay because... Dot, dot, dot. What is your default end to that sentence? When times are tough, it will be okay because... When I was in school, I remember if I was having a bad day at school, um, this was back in the day um, when The Simpsons was on Channel 4 every day at 6 p.m. And if I was having a bad day at school, I used to think to myself, it'll be okay, because tonight, when I get home, I can sit down in front of the TV and watch The Simpsons. Whatever they do to me today, they can't take that away. It'll be okay. That was my fallback. But what about you? What about me? When times are really tough, not just a bad day at school, how do you finish that sentence? It will be okay because in the midst of lockdown, when you were or possibly are now at your lowest point, what's your answer to that question? It will be okay because... Because our answer to that question reveals where our trust is, reveals where our security is, our significance, our satisfaction. It'll be okay because of my family. It'll be okay because I've got a secure job. It'll be okay because at the end of the day, I can just put Netflix on. It'll be okay because whatever happens with this, I've got the approval of people whose respect I want. It will be okay because, or even, how would you finish it? It will be okay if I get COVID because, because I'm young, because I'm fit, because there's the NHS, or whatever happens in the midst of lockdown, if I get COVID, if everything else is taken away from me, it will be okay because God is holding me in his hands and one day he will take me home. That is the only non idolatrous answer. That is the only non-idolatrous way to finish that sentence. Our default answer, the first one, not, oh, what should the answer be? But our default answer, it will be okay because, tells us the gods with whom we share our worship of God. And what does that tell us? Well, unless you are a lot holier than me, it tells us that we are idolaters as well. That each of us doesn't worship God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. 
We worship God, perhaps, but we worship a bunch of other things as well. We all hedge our bets, split our allegiances between God and other idols. So what do we do then? We look to the servant, to the true servant. It wasn't Israel. Um, You probably guessed who the true servant is. But if not, Matthew chapter 12 tells us. Actually, I've got it here. Matthew writes, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen. Jesus is the servant, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations as he has, as is going on today through every nation of the world. The God who is able to proclaim the future because he controls the future. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus is gentle with us. Jesus is kind to us. Unlike the sacrifices that the idols demanded, up to and including child sacrifice, Jesus dies in our place. He doesn't demand righteousness from us. He gives his righteousness to us. In his name, the nations will put their hope. For those who trust in the servant, those whose deepest trust, bottom line trust is, it will be okay because Jesus is for us, because God is for us. Then on that day, the last day when Jesus returns, he will welcome us in. And so we look to his forgiveness now. We look to his righteousness now. We repent daily of our idolatry and we turn back to God and put our trust firmly in him. Well, how wonderful that if we do that, we can be sure, we can know that ultimately there is nothing we need fear. Even if we die, we have nothing to fear. Jesus will carry us home. Now the response to that is to sing. It's what the passage tells us. Verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the people of Selah sing sing for joy. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. We're in one of the islands from Isaiah's point of view. He was in Israel. He probably didn't know the name of England, and wasn't called England then. But here we are, 3,000 roughly years later. Let us sing praise. Well, let us listen along while Andrew sings praise, because we're not allowed to. If you're at home, sing as loudly as you can. But for the rest of us, let's sing in our hearts. And as we go out this week, let's look for opportunities to declare God's praise to those around us. Andrew.